Man. Happy Mother's Day yet again. We are so glad that you're here. I know there's a plethora of different uh, types of mothers. There's spiritual mothers. There's physical mothers. There's people. I know in my life, I had a great mother in my life, but there was other mother figures in my life that helped me out so much as well. And maybe you serve that role or whatever that role is. We just want to say thank you. And we're honored to have you um, here today. I also know um, days like this, as celebratory as they are for so many, they can also be difficult for others. And uh, we embrace that and we understand that here at Radiate and we know that it can be tough. And so I just want you to know here at Radiate, it's okay to not always be okay. It's okay for it to uh, hurt a little bit. It's okay for it to be a little frustrating. It's okay to be a little sad today. In fact, in the lobby on the way out, if you struggle with that and, and it's just a hard day, we do have a table. We got some flowers for you and somebody there that would uh, be happy to talk with you and pray with you if you need that today. It may just help you out just a little bit. I've seen people go in and out of that area all day and uh, walk away just feeling a little bit more encouraged, a little bit more refreshed, and that's what the Lord does. So I just want you to know that, and we love you, and we're excited to have you uh, here with us today. This is our last of three services. We've been doing, uh, we started three services last week because um, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, you probably don't know this, but over the past two weeks, we've actually set um, non-holiday attendance records both Sundays right here at Radiate Church. Come on. And so we're excited uh, about what God is doing here, and uh, we've already had some people make a decision for Jesus this morning. Hey, if, we, um, if you take notes, and we highly encourage that here at Radiate uh, so that you can go back and learn and, and follow along, we, we want you to give you, give you just a minute to get your notebook out and your pens or maybe your phone or whatever you need, and we're going to hang out really in Genesis chapter 15 and 16 and 18 today. We're going to kind of be in that area this morning. But on Mother's Day today, I have, I'm going to be real, I have a new found respect for moms today. I just want you to know, I don't know what I did to my wife, but she decided yesterday was a day to punish her husband. I don't know what happened. And here's the truth. My wife deserved her day yesterday. I'm going to explain it to you in a minute. She deserved her day. I don't know what I did to deserve yesterday, but she deserved it because she works hard and she's an amazing mother and she's an amazing wife. She's an amazing pastor's wife and she's an amazing kids pastor here at Radiate. But y'all, yesterday she threw me for a loop. I think she did it to teach me how important she is to our family. I really do. So yesterday, my wife decided to go with Pastor Travis's wife to the beach all day long and I had to stay with my three kids all day and I understand what I'm saying I understand it I understand that I'm saying I had to stay with my three kids because here's a response that some of you have in your head well they're your kids you played a part yes I understand that but, so here's what happened, y'all. I love my kids. My kids are amazing. I have a nine-year-old boy, right? I have a seven-year-old girl, right? The girl is enough, okay? I've never had a girl before in my life, obviously. And, you know, um, I'm from a family of boys. You girls are crazy. <laughs> Seven years old is about the time the crazy meter picks up. I'm just saying, all right? I got a nine-year-old boy, a seven-year-old girl, and I have a two-year-old Tasmanian devil. He is a two-year-old boy that breaks everything he gets his hands on and thinks it's funny to wear his dad out every day. So I said, I got this. I got th I'm their dad. I'm a grown man. 
Friday night, my wife is packing their bags, you know, clothes. Because here's the deal, y'all. Watch this. Not, I didn't just have my kids. I didn't just have them at home. I couldn't just turn on Netflix. I couldn't just give them an iPad. Y'all, I had to take them to get baseball pictures taken. I had to take them to run errands in stores with real people. And I had to take them to a birthday party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel me now. My pain is yours. Praise God. Right? My wife, Friday night, is packing their, their bags. She's putting a change of clothes in there. and She's putting my youngest son's um, little lifesaver things that go on their arms. I don't even know what those things are called anymore. Um, I just call them lifesavers, right? And so she had that in there. She had his little swimmy diapers on, in there so that he could not contaminate the pool with uh, a diaper on, right? All this stuff. I looked at her. I'm not exaggerating. I looked at her. I said, babe! I said, I am a 37-year-old grown man. And those are my kids. You do not have to pack their bags. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I know how to take care of my kids. I got this. I got this. I said, you go and lay your pretty little head down on that pillow, and you get some rest for your beach day tomorrow. I got this. She looked at me. She said, oh, I do. I got to pack it. I got to make sure it's right, because I got to make sure you're ready. I was like, oh, babe, this, are you kidding? Have <laughs> you met me? I got this. I got this. We wake up in the morning. We go get my son's pictures taken in his baseball uniform. It is perfect day. We go run our errands. We go do what we need to do. Everything is great. We get in the van because a minivan, after you have two kids, is the greatest investment you could ever make in your entire life. I, woke, I grew up saying, I'll never have a minivan. Y'all, that is the smartest thing I ever did. We get to this pool party that is my nephew's pool party. I love pool parties. I love going to my, ne my, my in-law's house. I love going to hang out with them. I love going to see them. I get up. I pull up. Everybody's excited. My Tasmanian devil is waking up from his nap from the interstate. I reach around to grab the bag. The bag is sitting on the kitchen floor an hour away at my house that had the lifesaver bicep things and the swimmy diapers and the change of clothes and the towels no I had the towels all the other stuff was in the bag y'all I failed I failed hard I failed mightily I'm grateful for a nan nan that keeps extra clothes in drawers for no apparent reason whatsoever at her house I said you got clothes she goes oh She's pulling out stuff from Ross and TJ Maxx. Still got that tags on. I'm like, we're popping tags today. Let's go. <laughs> Y'all, it was hard. It was tough. And then, and on top of that, I had to watch my two-year-old climb out of the pool after, y'all, I forgot his swimmy diaper, so I took a risk. He contaminated the whole pool, y'all. I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying? If you're online today and you're joining in, welcome to the contamination story of the year. Had to get, like, it just was crazy. So I just want to say to all the moms, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for thinking of things that clearly, maybe it's just me, but people like me just don't think of, all right? And I'm grateful for you. We love you. You are amazing. We literally would not be here without you. And figuratively, you've kept us out of a lot of trouble. And so we're very grateful for you. Let's put our hands together one more time.
all of our online audience today. Thank you, ladies online. Y'all, I, I, I tell that story because I really do. I really did tell somebody. I was like, I think she did this. I told her aunt yesterday at that party. I said, I think she did this so that she knew that I would understand how appreciative or how much she does in this family today, like that Mother's Day was better. In fact, I, I want to go through a, a quick list. It's not exhaustive. It's not complete. It's just a few people in the Bible of, of very influential females, very influential ladies in, in the Bible to open everything up because there, there seems to be this mentality among some people that women uh, don't belong in leadership and don't, don't have a place in the church and in the kingdom. And I just want to tell you, there's no way they're, they're saying that and reading the Bible that God wrote. There's no way. Watch this. It's all throughout the Bible. I'm just going to go through some things before the church was ever established and really took off and organized. You got people like, at the beginning of the Bible, you got Eve, right? Eve was, I would say, we would all say that Eve was pretty influential, right? She was Adam's helpmate. Um, she, she was uh, uh, um, in the Garden of Eden. She started the whole thing. And then you got Rachel, right? Rachel was the wife of Jacob, um, who was the mother to Joseph. Um, actually, Rachel's sons grew up to, to lead uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, right? So you got those. You got Jochebed, who was the mother of Moses. She was willing to sacrifice her son in a waterproof basket down a river just to keep the government from killing him and taking his life. She was willing to do what she needed to do to protect her kids. That's how you mothers are. We love, that's why when they come to us, us men, we just go, go to your mother, right? Ask your mother. Then you got Rahab. Rahab was a harlot or a prostitute, right, that housed and harbored spies from the Israelites whenever they were going to spy on Jericho to see about the promised land. And she started as a harlot, but she ended up being a, 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 an unlikely ancestor of Jesus. She was in his family tree, which is unheard of in that time. Women are not listed in the family tree, but Jesus made sure she was. Right? And then you got Deborah. Deborah, she was the only female judge in Israel for a time that was dominated by males, right? And because of her faith and wisdom, Israel actually had 40 years of peace on the other side, right? Because of the way that she judged and ruled. Then you had Hannah. Hannah was the mother of Samuel. He, she dedicated Samuel to God, and Samuel later became the last of Israel's judges. and then he became a prophet and a counselor to King Saul and to King David. Pretty, pretty influential. He was raised and, and all by his mom. Then you got Mary, obviously the mother of Jesus. Pretty influential. And then you got Martha, who was the mother of John the Baptist, who was very influential. That's just a few. And then you got the church was established and was growing and taking off and the kingdom of God was going. And here's just three people that helped with that. You got Junia in Romans chapter 16 and verse 7. Junia was one of the apostles that the apostle Paul actually sent out to start churches and to lead churches and to develop churches. Junia did, right? Then you got Phoebe in Romans 16 and 1 through 2. Phoebe worked really closely with Paul to organize and disciple the church to make sure it was going in the right direction. And then in Romans chapter 18 and verses 24 through 26, you got this lady called Priscilla. And Priscilla worked really closely with Paul to disciple and train people in the kingdom of God. And why do I list all that? I list all that because I want all the ladies to understand you have a purpose, 
and you have a plan and you have a point to play in the kingdom of God, in the church of God, and you have a, you have a purpose and a plan right here on earth that God has set for you and don't you ever let anybody make you feel like you're insignificant. Don't you ever make any, any, let anybody make you feel like you don't play a purpose because you do 100%. All throughout the Bible, and that's just a short list. There's so many more that we could go through. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, there's, that chapter is actually called, um, the, the, to us theology nerds and, and preacher nerds and Bible people, we call Hebrews chapter 11 the hall of faith, right? The hall of faith. And it's about all these people that did all these great things in the Bible. And, and they're just like the top of the top of faith. And there's two women that are listed in there. One is Rahab, who we just talked about. And then there's another woman that I really want to dig into her story because I think there's a couple things we can learn from uh, her story as in motherhood today that no matter if you're a mom, a dad, no matter if you're male or a female, no matter if you're middle school, high school, adult, doesn't really matter where you are in your life, older, younger, doesn't matter. There's a couple things that we can grab in her life and it's, her name is Sarah. So Rahab and Sarah are, are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, and, and actually in verse 11, it talks about Sarah just a minute. It gives us a little brief overview of why she's listed uh, right here in the Hall of Faith. It says it like this. It says, by faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, watch this, even beyond the proper time of life. So in other words, she was beyond age. She was beyond time of when she should be able to conceive a child. Since she considered him faithful, who had promised. In other words, she's here. She was beyond age. She couldn't conceive a child. She couldn't have a kid. But she did anyway because she believed that the one who spoke the promise was going to come through on the promise no matter what the promise looked like. In fact, in Genesis chapter 15... In verses 1 through 6 is where we see the story really starting to take off. Let's read that. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, who is Abraham, which is Sarah's husband, in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be great. Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, since you've given no offspring to me, one born to in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if, you, if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and reckoned it to him as Righteousness. Y'all, this is a crazy story. So Abraham is having this conversation with God, right? And he's having this talk, and he's reminding God over and over again in the middle of this conversation. Hey, God, I don't know if you realize this or not, but I don't have any kids. Hey, God, you've given me no heir. This guy, Eliezer of Damascus, was born in my house, which means now by law, he is an heir to everything that I have. He gets everything I have when my life is over. I have no kids of my own. That means he's going to take it. Hey, God, I don't know if you realize this or not, but I have no offspring. Don't we do that a lot, right? I don't know about it. Maybe you don't, but I do. I'm like, hey, God, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm still not a millionaire yet. Hey, God, I don't know if you realize this or not, but I still want that truck that I said I wanted. 
Hey, God, I don't know if you realize it. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just subtly remind God, like, hey, God, you know. That's what Abraham was doing. And God, in the conversation, looked at Abraham. He said, no, 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 no. Eliezer of Damascus is not going to be your heir. You're going to have a kid, and you're going to have a son, and when he is born, he will be your heir. In fact, he said, Abraham, why don't you follow me? Follow me. Come on, let's go. He said, let's go outside. And so Abraham walked outside with, um, with God, and, and he said, now look, look at the sky. Abraham looks up, and he sees all the stars, and God goes, now count them. All right, one, two. Yeah, God, that ain't happening, man. There's way too many. Because you can't count the stars. Nobody can count the stars, right? We don't know how many stars are up in the sky. So God goes, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Here's what literally takes place in that conversation. God goes, you're going to go from none to so many you can't count. My promise to you is you're going to go from none to so many you can't count. You're going to father nations. Like, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be incredible. And here's what happens. A little spoiler alert. Ten years goes by. Ten years goes by, and the promise is never fulfilled. How many of us, and I would venture to say probably not many, but how many of us would sign up and raise our hands and go, Hey, God, right here, give me the promise, and I'll wait at least ten years before I see anything that has to do with it. Now, we may in church go, Yeah, right here, I'll wait ten years. But six months from now, we'd be like, God, maybe I heard God wrong. Like maybe, maybe the pastor just got me really hyped up that day and I was just kind of feeling the emotion. Like maybe that was adrenaline. Or maybe that was that coffee I had from Starbucks that morning. Whatever it was. I, I don't know, but it could have been God. Like I don't want to wait 10 years because none of us like to wait, do we? Nobody. I don't like to wait. I talked about this last week in another church uh, in Charleston. I don't like to wait. I hate waiting. In fact, to me, fast food is translated as immediate. Immediate Food. I don't want to have to wait for it. I want to order, and you snap your fingers, and it's in my hands. That's what I want. If I order my coffee on an app, I want to pull up, and it's like, oh, and you just pull right into this little glowing thing, and it shows up. I don't like to wait on anything. I don't like to wait. Even when I put something in the microwave, I don't want to wait. I'm standing there at the microwave like, this is the longest two minutes of my entire life. I don't understand what's happening. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And then it gets especially bad. Me and Pastor Travis were on the interstate on the way back home the other day, and we got stuck in traffic. And y'all, you might as well lock me in a four-by-four cage. Like, I couldn't handle it. It was driving me nuts. Luckily, he was there for me to talk to, because if not, I might would have just, I don't know what I would have done. I might be in jail today. Not true. Wouldn't have happened. No, the reality is we don't like to wait, but waiting, waiting often develops perseverance within us. And it's one of the most forgotten traits of the Christian life. It's one of the most forgotten traits in society to where we don't want to wait for anything and I'm not going to persevere through anything that I don't like. If it gets difficult, then obviously God's not about it. Go listen to the God Never Said That series that we just finished up, right? Because we talk about that a good bit. The truth of the matter is, is we will not fight through things that we do not like because we don't want to wait and because perseverance is not a godly trait when in the Bible it consistently talks about the people that are faithful. What is faithfulness? Consistent execution of the right things over and over again. Faithfulness and perseverance are developed in waiting seasons. They had to wait 10 years. I don't know anybody that would sign up and go, Hey, God, give me the promise and, and I'll wait 10 years for it. Because none of us want that. None of us want that. But here's the reality. like We have to be willing to wait sometimes. 
in order to see the fulfillment of the promise. We have to understand, God doesn't lie. God never lies. He's always going to come through. If he promises something, he's already got the execution on the other side. And there's two things we can learn in this story where she had to wait 10 years for the promise. And the first one is this. We have to learn to trust God no matter how long it takes. Trust God. Is this helping anybody? Are you with me today? Trust God no matter how long it takes. That's a hard thing to say. That's a hard thing to feel. That's a hard thing to be about. Sarah and Abraham had a promise. This is going to happen in your life, but in the 10-year wait, watch this. In the 10-year wait, in the middle of the wait, she lost the ability to conceive children. She lost the natural ability to even fulfill the promise in the first place because sometimes the promise seems way too out of reach. Sometimes we have to wait because God wants to show us his power anyway. Sometimes we have to wait to be prepared. See, God, we got to understand this about God and his promises. God works outside of our time. He does not work in our 24-hour time frame. God does not work January to December. God does not work in our 12-hour time frame. He does not work in any of that. God works outside of our time. He works in eternity, which means that he has no concept of our time, which means that if I look at him and go, I got one hour, that doesn't really mean a whole lot to him. What matters to him is his kids and his purpose. That's what he's care, he cares about. That's what he, and so sometimes, that's why God can do things in 30 seconds that takes us 30 years. But he can also do things in 30 years that take us 30 seconds. Because he's not working on our time frame, he's working on his. He's not working on an earthly calendar, he's working on a kingdom calendar. He's working on things that are completely different than we are. We gotta, we gotta remember that. And in, verse, in chapter 16 of Genesis, Sarah forgets that. And Sarah does what many of us do. Sarah does what I do sometimes. Sarah does what you do sometimes. Sarah comes up with her own solution to God's promise. You ever done that? Hey, God, you're not coming through fast enough, so I think I can figure this out. Watch this. Here's what she does. In, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 16 of Genesis, she says, Now Sarah, or Sarah, uh, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. You already know this is going off the rails quick. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord... I want, you to, I want you to hear the wording. The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So now, not only is she upset because he hasn't fulfilled the promise, she's blaming him for preventing her from fulfilling the promise. Can, can we just stop for a second and say this? When God promises something, he's going to come through. Stop blaming God for your inability to come through on a godly promise. It's not your job to make the promise happen. It's his. It's my job to work and be ready for when it happens. It's his job to fulfill it. It says, the Lord prevented me from having children. Nah, that's just science. You get to an age, you can't have kids. Right? That's just what happens. Watch this. Lord prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. They came up with their own solution. To God's promise. Now, this isn't a talk about don't go adopt kids and don't have circuits. Like, I don't believe any of that. That is not what this is about. This is about finding solutions to God's promises on our own and how it causes chaos. And it causes a mess because we need to understand this. Watch. So he has a kid with Hagar. Abraham has a kid with Hagar named Ishmael. Ishmael fathers the Arab nation, right? 
Now later, we're going to read it in just a minute in Genesis chapter 18, but in Genesis 18, God fulfills the promise because after all, he's God and he's not going to lie, so he fulfills the promise and he has a kid now with Sarah named Isaac. And now Isaac grows up and he fathers, um, he fathers Israel. And watch what happens. This is what takes place later. It is happening in history to this day. Ishmael, the illegitimate son, fathers the Arab nation. Isaac fathers Israel. Guess who fights all the time? The Arab nation in Israel. I don't think it's a coincidence that the fatherhood of both were at each other's throats because watch this, you've got to grab this. Chaos takes place when I think I know more than God. Because when I come up with my own solution for what God's told me, then I'm looking at God and going, you don't know enough. You're not doing it fast enough. You're not doing it good enough. So let me help you out. I don't think any of us in our right mind, if we were really thinking right, would look at God and go, I think I know better than you. I think I can tell you how to do it. Like, God, I don't like this in the Bible, and so I'm just going to do it different. Now, we do it, but I don't think if we really slowed down to think about it, we would look at the creator of the universe and say, hey, you're, you're, you're pretty sucky at this. I'm going to do it a different way. But whenever we find our own solution to God's promises and God's, um, what he's promised us and, and he's going to bring about, we're looking at God and going, hey, I know better than you. Chaos always ensues. Listen to me. Your solution is not better than his promise. Your solution is not better than his fulfillment. Your solution, your idea, your opinion is nothing based on the perspective he has. Because remember, he doesn't work on the perspective of earth. He works on the perspective of eternity and kingdom. He sees more than you or I see. If it's taken longer than you think it should, there's a purpose behind that. If it's not taken as long as you think it should, there's a purpose behind that. I'm here to tell you, I promise you, I've seen it in my own life. I have to learn to trust God no matter how long it takes. No matter how long it takes. My solution is not better than his promise. And neither is yours. The second thing that we can learn in this story is this. We, can, we have to learn to trust God even when it sounds ridiculous. You ever, you ever read something that God asks you to do in the Bible or, you know, maybe in life group whenever you're having the conversation and you know you just feel like this is what you should do and you hear it and you're like I should do that and then you go that's kind of ridiculous like I should move but I don't want to move right like when God told me to plant a church I was at a really good church and I loved the church that we were at and I was like this is kind of ridiculous I'm in a good spot all right I have to learn to trust God even when it's absolutely ridiculous because what most of us do is we take our little box of plans and we build our life on this. And then when we submit our lives to God, we go, hey, God, this is what I've already figured out I can do in my life. And this, God, is what I like to do. And God, this is what I enjoy doing. And God, this is what I can do, right? So I'm going to give you my life. But what I really want you to do is make my plans happen. Can I tell you, I'm just going to be real, that is not submission to God. That is manipulation of God. God's job is not to make your plans happen. 
God's job, our job, is to submit our lives. And that means us going, hey, God, through the cross of Jesus, I give you my life. I give you everything I have, including the plans that I've created in this life. And I know, here's the reality, God, I think this stuff's good, and I think it's okay, and I think we can make this happen, and I think it's attainable, and I think it's going to benefit a lot. But the truth is, God, I'm submitting my life to you, and so now I'm giving you these plans, and I'm saying they're flexible to whatever you want them to be. God, I'm saying they're flexible to what it... God, if you want to blow plan A up, plan, blow plan A up. If you want me to accomplish A, B, and C, but not D, that's fine. Just tell me what D is. I'll do what you need to do because, God, after all, I'm submitting my life to you, not you submitting your life to me. God, I'm not building my plans so that you fulfill my plans. God, I'm submitting my life so that I fulfill your purpose. There's a really big difference in submitting my life to God and manipulating the God of the universe. God is not a genie that does whatever I want him to do. God is someone that loves me right where I am, but entirely too much to leave me there. And so often my plans have to change because my plans are usually selfish and they have very little to do with God. But God's plans always have everything to do with God. And they always benefit me too. That's just the goodness of God. And so when I submit my life to him, like there's this moment where it's, God, I'm going to trust you even when it sounds absolutely ridiculous. In fact, the story continues that Hagar has Ishmael and it creates jealousy and frustration and anger and strife and war and all this stuff between the two and the nations that they father and all that. And then in eight, chapter 18, verses 19 through, or 9 through 11, the angel shows right back up to Abraham after uh, Ishmael is born and he looks at Abraham and he goes, hey, you remember that promise I gave you in chapter 15? You remember when I told you this was going to happen? It's about to take place. And watch, watch the response of Sarah in verses 12 through 14 of Genesis chapter 18. It says this. It says, Sarah laughed to herself. You ever heard God say something you're just kind of like, ha! Me? You're crazy. You want me to write that check? Ha! You want me to approach that person? You want me to forgive? You're right. He said, Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I've become old, I think this whole conversation is hilarious. After I've become old, sure, shall I have pleasure now? And then she's got to throw this one in there. My Lord is old also. So she's going, not only am I old, but so is Abraham. I was just rude. He was talking to God. You ain't got to have that conversation. That's just mean. Verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I'm so old? And this, verse 14, is really the question we have to ask ourselves today. The Lord follows it up with this. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. God's calling his own shots. In other words, God knows Sarah is eavesdropping on the conversation and he hears her laugh, chuckle a little bit. He knows why she laughed. He's just calling her out. He said, Abraham, why'd your wife just laugh? Is anything too tough for God? Is anything too heavy for God? Is anything too difficult for God? Is anything too frustrating for God? Is anything too much for God? No. 
If I were to ask you that question today, I'd bet 99% of you, if not 100%, would say, no, nothing's too, too difficult for God. Nothing's too much for God. God can handle anything. But you know how you really answer that question? It's not with our words. It's, it's not with a verbal answer. It's with this question, what are you willing to give him? Because what I'm not willing to give God, I believe, is too much for him. Have you, have you really given him your life? Well, no, you don't. Man, I got some stuff. Is anything too difficult for God? Have you, have you really given him your marriage? No, man, like, I, man, I'm so messed up as a husband or a wife. Is anything too difficult for God? Have you really given him your kids? No, man, my kids are dead crazy. Is anything too difficult for God? Have you really given him your finances? No, man, I can't even balance a checkbook. Is anything too difficult for God? Have you really given him like the moment to where you can serve your church or your life group? No, man, I don't have time. Is anything too difficult for God? Like I, that's the question we have to ask ourselves every single day because everything we keep from God, we internally are believing is too difficult for God. Because when I try to do it on my own, I believe I can handle it way better than God can. And if you're anything like me, male, female, student, adult, grandparent, parent, doesn't matter. You know what the truth is? We do try to do it on our own a lot, don't we? And God goes, is anything too difficult for me? I told you you'd have a son. I told you you'd have a kid. I told you you'd have an heir. I told you your descendants would be... Um, greater than the stars in the sky is anything too difficult for me she's laughing because she doesn't believe but now she will because the countdown is on you got 12 months and you're gonna have a son you're gonna have a son and my promise is gonna come through I just need to ask you what are you holding on to that you really believe is too difficult for God that addiction that thought that internet browser that you shouldn't be looking at? That lifestyle that you know ain't godly? I don't know. What is it? Maybe it's a past that God's already forgiven, but you haven't? I don't know. What is it? Because I just want you to know, nothing, absolutely nothing, there is nothing too difficult for my God. And I am grateful that God loves me right where I am. But he loves me way too much to leave me where I'm at. And that I can give him anything that I feel like is too difficult for me. Because it's never too difficult for him. And he'll always come through on the other side. Because he promises to never leave nor forsake us. I want us all to hear that. But moms, I want to tell you today. You got a tough job. You got a tough job. You got to balance emotions. You got to feel unappreciated. You got to be the healer of boo boos. You got to be the healer of emotions. You know what I'm saying? You got to keep us out of trouble. But I don't want you to forget this that what's ridiculous to us is easy to God. You have a purpose, moms. You have a purpose in this life. And when we give our lives to God, what's ridiculous to us is easy for God. No matter what, it's tough, but we love you.
You're all of our heroes. And you help all of us through it all. And you have a purpose. And you have a plan. And even when it feels ridiculous, God is still there to say, I got this. Because nothing is too difficult for me. So today, I just want to ask this question. If there's anybody, I'm going to pray over everybody. But maybe you're sitting in here. And the first thing you got to give to God that you have felt like is too difficult is your life. With the eyes closed and heads bowed all over the room, and maybe you're online today, I want to ask you this same thing on our online campus and in our physical campus, and it's this. It's really simple. I know your life is messy. I know your life is tough, I I know it's difficult, and it may be frustrating, and it may be muddy, and it may be all these things, because none of us are right, none of us are perfect, none of us have it all together, but can I tell you the reality is that whatever you've got in your life is not too difficult for God, and he sent his son Jesus, and he gave his life to give us life. And maybe there's somebody in the room that wants to join with those that have done so already this morning in in the other services to say, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus, Mother's Day 2021. I want to dedicate my life back to him because I know it's not too difficult, it's not too big, and I just want to start eternity today with him. I want to live with Jesus forever. I want to live with God forever, and I want to give him my life. If that's you and you're in the room, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Come on. Just hold it up. I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to come down. I just want to pray with you because it's not too difficult. It's not too much. Today is the beginning of a new life. We're going to put a clipboard in your hand, and we're just going to ask you to fill that out because we want to walk this out together. But I want, here at Radiate, we believe in doing things together. We do life together as one of our core values. And I just want to ask you to just, out loud, just pray this with me because we do have somebody that's going to give their life to Jesus right now. And maybe you're online and wherever you are, I want you to pray this. But all over the room, just say this out loud. Say, Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I accept the sacrifice of your life for me. I give you my past. I give you my present, and I give you my future. And I thank you for welcoming me into the family of God today and making room for me at the table of forgiveness. God, I thank you for the one that's given their heart to Jesus today in this service. Lord, I pray over every person that's under the sound of my voice, whether they're online or whether they're in person. God, we honor you and we thank you. And God, I pray that we take these words and we would learn to trust you. God, that we trust you no matter how long it takes and we trust you no matter how ridiculous it is. God, we give you every single thing we have. Let this be the beginning of life change in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.